We're going to kick off by reading Acts chapter 1, um, just a couple of verses. So if you have a Bible, go to Acts 1, and we'll look at the first few verses. And we're going to, be, we're going to take a little journey today, if that's all right. Can we do that together? All right. Acts 1, verse 1, it says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So this is part two of a two-part series. Uh, the Gospel of Luke is part one. And Pastor Dave last week explained that, uh, the themes and the structures of the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to focus in on a couple of verses together today. But what you need to know is that part two is really the continuation of Jesus' life and ministry um, through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to see throughout this series, um, Empowered People, is ordinary men and women doing the same thing that Jesus did when he was on earth alive. And they're going to do it the same way, the things that he did, the same way that Jesus did those things. And that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It, uh, Simon Ponsby, in, in his book, More, he said this, Those early Christians had no degrees from the best universities. They had been on no MBA management courses, gone through no psychological Myers-Briggs compatibility profiles, ENFP. They had no, <laughs> as you can tell, um, they had no financial investment portfolios, but they had a revelation of God, a revelation of their inheritance in Christ and Holy Spirit power from on high. With this, God took 120 people and shook the world. We're here because of those 120 people and the Holy Spirit and God's uh, relentless faithfulness to his creation and humanity. And um, what we're going to see in the book of Acts is ordinary people filled with faith uh, and live as witnesses of the resurrected Jesus Christ. So the book begins with, I, uh, I, hey, Theophilus, I'm going to, I got to tell you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. And it says that Jesus was with his disciples and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, we have to understand what Jesus' ministry really is. Because Jesus, um, the continuation of his ministry is what we're going to see through ordinary people. But Jesus' ministry could be identified with two things. Preaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 1 summarizes all of Jesus' teachings with this. It says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news was not, hey, guys, guess what? When you die, you get to go to heaven. He wasn't announcing gospel, there's somewhere you go after you die. He was announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. In the rest of the book of Acts, you will see at strategic moments, various people talking about the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 19, Paul goes into the synagogue in Ephesus, and it says there that he preached and argue persuasively about the kingdom of God. The very last verse of the book of Acts. I want you to just go there. Because you have Bibles and you can scroll there. Acts 28, verse 31. It says, this is Paul. He's in, he's in prison in Rome. He's at the heart of the empire. 
And it says he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Come on. Amen. This is about God's kingdom. What did Jesus mean when he proclaimed the kingdom of God? What he meant is God's now in charge. The kingdom meant God's rule or reign. And Jesus went around saying, God's now in charge. So now reimagine life now that God is in power. The kingdom is what life would look like if God was in charge of your life. Remember, we were designed to live in perfect loving union with God, ourselves, creation, and each other. But that was distorted through sin. And when Jesus comes announcing the arrival of God's kingdom, it's the long-awaited prophetic moment from the Old Testament to new. The fulfillment of all of the Old Testament is found in Jesus' life, message, and demonstration of that kingdom. What does it mean for God to be in charge, though, really? Because for some of us, based on our view of God, it's not necessarily a happy thing to consider God being in charge. But this was good news at the time of Jesus. What does it mean for God to be in charge? I have two kids, six-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, both boys, Ezra and Amos. And when we had our second son, um, things changed. You go from two-on-one defense to -to man-to-man defense. And uh, my wife did all of the lift, lifting, heavy lifting, basically everything. My son Amos didn't take bottles, so he was very attached um, to the mom. And I remember my wife was, you know, am- she's amazing, but she needed to get out of the house. And I was like, hey, babe, you know what? He's four months old. Um, why don't you let me put both kids down? Uh, and you just go out with your friends to happy hour and just, I'll take care of everything. And it was like, great, good, bye, see you later. No, she gave me, she gave me the instructions. It was detailed. My wife's type A, very detail oriented. I had like a long Evernote of things to look for and all the things that I had to do. Um, but this was going to be the first time he would take a bottle. Amos would take a bottle before bed. So I, I, I did the be- bedtime routine. I'm reading in my son Ezra's room, holding Amos, looking for the cues. When is Amos going to be tired and need a bottle to go place him down to sleep and I'm I remember this moment because it was it's you'll see why I was reading to Ezra um, the storybook bible uh, talking about when Jesus says let the little children come to me just remember that that the pastor was reading that to his son I saw the cue and I said hey Ezra stay in this room by yourself you four-year-old I'm gonna go put the four-month-old down and, and he, I'm going to do what mommy told me to do, okay? This is my first time, so for the love, give me a break. And he protested and cried. And I finally shut his door in his protest and went to the other room. And I grabbed the bottle, got the lights dim, had the sound machine on. We had blackout curtains. We're that kind of family. And I'm, I'm holding my four-month-old, and I give him a bottle, and he immediately knows it's not what he normally gets. It's fake. And he protests, not like little baby protests, like he learned karate skills to get the bottle away from him. And he begins to panic. Where's mom? Mom is not, get that out of my face. Mom's not here. He starts crying hysterically. So I text Alex, hey, babe, I know you're at this thing, but hey, you need to come. He's not, this isn't working. He starts crying really loud. My four-year-old comes into the room, bringing in all the light with it, waking Amos up, startling me. I said, get out of the room. And I shut the door. While I'm shutting the door, his foot gets stuck. I roll it over. He's on the floor outside crying now, whimpering. The four-year-old son of the pastor. 
I shut the door. I put the crying baby down. I walk out. Lord Jesus, come quick. Baby, you got to come home. Something's wrong. SOS, 911, 911, 911. All the emojis to go with it. I walk into the room. My son, who's now, his spirit has been broken. And he looks at me, and I kid you not, he looks at me and he says, life's hard without mommy. So when Jesus comes and says God's not now in charge, he knows life's hard without God. It was about the restoration of creation through relationship to Jesus. But he doesn't just preach the kingdom, he demonstrates the kingdom, doesn't he? In fact, almost all of his demonstrations, by the way, were interruptions to his ministry. Just side note, just take a little look at the Gospels at how interruptible Jesus was. Almost all of the healing miracles take place on his way to doing something else. In the middle of a sermon, someone breaks open the roof to raise down, lower down this paralyzed man. And he doesn't heal him at first. He speaks to his core wound, which was, your sins are forgiven. Because in that time, you, you were cursed by God with paralysis based on some type of sin that your family created or maybe something you did as a child. But story after story, people who encountered Jesus in Scripture experienced God's transformative power in their everyday life. For the sick, it was healing. For the blind, it was sight. For the outsider, it was inclusion. For the religious, it was spiritual awakening. For the sinner, it was forgiveness. For the broken, it was wholeness. For the tired, it was rest. For the oppressed, it was freedom. And for the anxious, it was peace. So what you must understand is Jesus' ministry is not some philosophical, esoteric, self-help, disembodied, spiritual knowledge of some type of enlightenment. For Jesus, the kingdom of God was a reality to be experienced. In fact, the kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. Jesus talked about the kingdom and shared parables. And then he would say things like, it's for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. Which is like a Greek way of saying, some of you are going to get it and some of you aren't. And Jesus understood his ministry would be like a sower who sows some seeds. And 75% of the soil that gets the seed doesn't produce fruit. The 2,500 fold. It's for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. You see... Jesus knew that his message and the kingdom required faith. Faith is standing, living, walking in the reality of what you come to believe is true. It's not some knowledge disconnected from your life. It is a part of your life. Are you with me? And today I feel like um, it's, it's kind of like this experience of, of how, uh, the kingdom is a reality to be experienced. It's it's kind of like trying to explain to somebody or describe to someone a song that they've never heard, right? And like it sounds like this epic movie song. There's like electric rain and then it builds up. And the guy, they're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I feel like for most of Christianity, this is what our, our attempt has been to the world. We've tried to explain and describe a song to a world that has to experience it for themselves. I want to demonstrate this near the end of my sermon. So can I get two volunteers? I have Kristen. Would you guys give it up for Kristen? She's going to... Need, I need two brave volunteers. Um, just, you're not going to have to come up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Uh, does anyone want to raise their hand? May, preferably. There we go. Okay. So what you're going to do, listen carefully as you get this. Two volunteers to demonstrate this. You weren't expecting this this morning, were you? 
So what you're going to do is you're going to put the headphones on and you're going to listen to a song. And you're going to listen to the whole song. And as clear as possible with the best writing you've ever had, because I can't read poor handwriting, um, you're going to describe in your own words the song so everyone else can know what we're talking about. Are you with me? So you got two volunteers. Listen to the song. When you're done with the song, just raise your hand and Kristen's going to pick it up. And at the end of the sermon, we're going to bring it back together and see if this experiment worked or not. Either way, I'm not coming back, I think. So it's fine. <laughs> it says this in Acts chapter 1 verse 4. So the, the book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' ministry, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. The kingdom will expand through ordinary people uh, who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Check this out. Verse 4, it says this. Um, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptism is not just this practice. It's very symbolic. And in, in the Greek, the actual word um, is used to describe what happens to a piece of fabric that's dipped into dye. That in the very essence and nature of the fabric is transformed. And this is the language that's used to describe what will happen to followers of Jesus when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That they will be baptized, immersed, saturated, permeated. I love what Simon Ponsonby says in his book. He says, when the Bible speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's, it is saying that one is consumed, taken over, impregnated, saturated, complete, and replete with, the, uh, with God's presence and power. To be filled with the Holy Spirit leaves no room to be filled with anything else. It leaves no room to be filled with anything else. That we live in a God-bathed world and God is looking for God-saturated beings to carry his presence wherever they go. That's what it means to be Christian. To be people of presence and power, which we'll get to in a second. But the Holy Spirit is not some power. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God wants to fill you with himself. He wants to go with you. He wants to be with you. He doesn't want you to be motivated by works. He wants to commune with you as you change diapers, as you wash dishes, as you lead your company, as you study in schools, as you go through suffering, as you deal with your depression, as you break through and get healing from your depression. God wants to be with you in the whole thing. He wants to transform you from the inside out and release you into the world as a steward of his presence. And in the church, we've replaced the presence with God with programs, proficiency, practices, and progress. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And it's, it seems like we've, we've settled as the church with the, the programs we're at the church to build a bigger church. That's not going to work. We're not called to build big churches. We're not called to be nicer people. We're called to, to the ends of the earth. We're called to preach the gospel to all creation. Every one of you has a commission, if you are a follower of Jesus, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, immersing them in the reality of who God is. I like this section over here. You remind me of me. John Stott says, we, what we need is not more learning, 
not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. Before we continue, is there anyone here that needs power to change? Anyone in here need power to forgive? Power to get up today and show up? Anyone in here need power to do something different in their life? Because the habits that you've accommodated to or adapted in your life are causing destruction and brokenness in relationships or in your life. You see, Christianity is not some self-help movement. It is a movement of presence. The, the Acts keeps going. It says this, verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him. This is, they're talking to Jesus. The disciples gathered. Lord, I love it. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So after three and a half years, the disciples still do not get what Jesus was talking about. And it's okay because we have the same problem today. And for them, they're, they're, what they're asking is a very, it's like theologically ingrained into their minds as little children that, that they had specific expectations of what God was going to do when he came. And Jesus just destroys those expectations. He doesn't fit into their boxes, if you will. And what they have is they have this idea or ideal of structures and symbols of the temple being restored and the enemies of Israel being defeated like Rome, like God did in the past, like God did with Egypt and Moses. And they don't understand that God's doing something new. His kingdom is not of this world. It looks differently. The 120 are going to subvert the empire, but not through structures of power, but through washing feet through service and love and through power that actually is significant. Power that lasts for eternity. How are we doing? And so they, they ask based on their understanding and their experiences. And, and Jesus then corrects them. And he says um, in verse 7, hey, uh, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Like, in other words, like, don't worry about it. You're not going to get left behind. In other words, like, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't be consumed with that stuff. Instead, he says, look it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So God's going to establish his kingdom to the ends of the earth in a way that looked different than what they anticipated and expected. The places this thing will go will cause you to be frustrated and angry because you will go to people groups that you don't want to be included in the kingdom. It says first, you will receive power. Power is the capacity to influence others. Power is the capacity to influence others or to um, uh, change the course of events. It's the ability to do things by virtue or strength or skill or resource or authorization. You will have capacity, resource from the kingdom to do some things. Specifically to do the things that Jesus was doing, but also power to change something within you. God wants to give you power to be changed as a human. 
power to experience transformation, power to walk into rooms and change the atmosphere and environment, power to be witnesses. Um, the Greek word for power is dunamis, and from which we have derived words like dynamite, dynamo, and dynamic. Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit will be explosive. They will make a noise and have an impact. Some of it will not be as obvious. Their words, lives, and presence will change us to enter, uh, sorry, will change things. It is the fullness of that power that Paul wants us to enter into. Paul declared that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Sadly, however, we often seem all talk and no power impotent, academic, and anemic. We have placed God in a box. We have domesticated God and rarely want him to disturb us. But the scriptures reveal a God who is all power, who breaks out of boxes, shatters our bonds, shakes whole rooms, and turns the world upside down and right side up. The Holy Spirit power, Holy Spirit power was always the mark of the men and women of God in the scripture, power. God wants to give you power. He wants to give you power. And the power is connected to a purpose, which we'll get to in a second. But the power, it says, will be to be witnesses. But you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts is structured around that phrase, that this will go to Jerusalem, hometown, Judea, and Samaria, which is like regional. But also interesting is Judea and Samaria, you never really put those things together. Um, it was a tool Luke gave uh, intentionally to talk about the spaces where it will go will be spaces that contradict one another. Groups that you would never think God would want to enter into would that that's where this movement is going. It's going to get viral. This thing is going to spread to the ends of the earth. And it's fascinating because what you have in the beginning in Jerusalem is Jerusalem is led by the apostles, the disciples of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit, leadership authority. Um, and, and what you see is that the, the movement of Christianity begins to spread. You'll see this. And there's conflict within the church, widows arguing with other widows about the daily uh, distribution of food. And finally, the disciples are like, let's get some people to help us out with this. And one of the guys that helps them out by passing out food to widows is a guy named Philip. They list seven guys and they all have amazing names like Crown, Victorious, and The Rock. And then there's Philip, which means lover of ponies. <laughs> and Philip is just a, you know, hanging out with the potluck associates, like he's passing out food. But the very next chapter, Stephen dies. And in chapter 8, there's persecution in Jerusalem. And Philip has to go away. And he ends up in a place called Samaria, which was hated. Hated. It was, they were racially despised by the Jews. There was discrimination. There was ethnic. It was, it was cultural. It was, it was spiritual hatred. They were, they were um, uh, blasphemers. He ends up in Samaria and it says he preaches the gospel, heals the sick, and the city was full of joy because of the lover of ponies. <laughs> but what's interesting is the very next story is Philip has this epic moment of success in Samaria. Um, and then it goes on and it says the Holy Spirit tells him to go to the desert. And he's, he goes to the desert road and on, he's just waiting from popularity and success to loneliness and isolation out of obedience, by the way. 
And he sees this Ethiopian eunuch and he walks by the chariot. He's reading something in Isaiah. The guy doesn't know what he's reading. Philip explains it to him. Then the guy says, why don't I get baptized and accept Jesus? He gets baptized and accepts Jesus. And then he goes home to Ethiopia, which, by the way, in the first century Roman Empire was the, the nickname for Ethiopia in the first century Roman Empire was the ends of the earth. By chapter 8, ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit are carrying this thing, this movement of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. Power to change power to carry this to places. It, it's it's got to break down barriers. It's got to include the people you don't want to include. It's going to be viral. This is not about you, yourself, and Jesus. This is about a movement of God for, the, for all people. But the purpose of our power is to be a witness. Have you heard this word before, witness? Yes. Show of hands, class. So when I was growing up, I came back to faith, and the word witness had a very negative connotation. And I, I, I was going around witnessing to people. I carried Bibles and stacks of tracts, and I would go to public places, and I would tell them that they're going to hell when they die. Anyone experience this type of Christianity? And it was, it was this idea that I had to convince people. I studied apologetics. I studied Mormon faith and Jehovah's Witness faith. I studied, Hindu, I studied all the religions because I wanted to argue them into the kingdom. Because this is what I thought it meant to be a witness. I thought what it meant was trying to convince people of something that I came to know. Not invite somebody to experience what I've experienced. And witness in the Greek, it means it's where we get the word martyr. So someone who lays down their life for their faith, they die for the faith. And it means someone who, who, who uh, is willing to lay down their preferences, to lay down, lay down their way of life. Um, it's also, it also means one who brings a testimony. One who affirms the truth of a story or an event. So in, you know, court systems, we want to bring witnesses to something that's taken place, right? Because if they've seen something, that they can bring truth or evidence or affirm the story or an event that's taken place. Yep, we, we want to be a witness. I thought witness was about becoming the kind of person that's willing to die for your faith. But what I realized is witness is becoming, living in a way that reveals God. Witness is becoming the kind of person that reveals God. Jesus wants to give you a spirit who will empower you to live as someone who affirms the truth of the resurrection in everyday, ordinary ways. In other words, the way you live your everyday, ordinary life becomes a case study, a testimony for the resurrected Christ. This is the purpose of the spirit in your life, to transform you so that you go about your ordinary life in a way that naturally points people to the resurrected Jesus. How you commute, how you lead that meeting, how you show up to church, how you treat your kids when you're frustrated and you're exhausted and they're still not listening, get your shoes on, Ezra, that moment. Maybe it's just me, parents. <sighs> Thank you. Christ talks a lot, or Paul talks a lot about weakness, you know, so just exposing the weaknesses in my life. But in those moments, 
That's where witness matters. Because we're all pointing people to something in our life, aren't we? Like, what, are you, what is your life pointing people towards? You ever think about it? What is your life pointing to? Career? Worry? Your dreams of success and fame? Your kids? Money? Comfort? The uh, uncontrolled, responsive consumerism? Definitely pointing to Amazon Prime. <laughs> Netflix, your TV, your smartphone, your need to check out your appetites. San Francisco, you got some good food. <laughs> Nothing wrong with good food. There's a lot of talk of eating food in the Bible, especially in Luke and Acts, okay? But are your appetites getting in the way? Are they pointing people to your preferences? Which I'm just going to sh share it because you know what? I'm not coming back. Which is I think there's a, there's a huge issue in the church of gluttony. And it doesn't look like overeating. It looks like an obsession with quality food. Especially in Southern California because everyone's on like keto or vegan. or what, it's, it's just what is your life pointing to? Well, my vegan friends, you can hear all of their passion about their vegan food. In the same way that when CrossFit was huge, you knew everyone that did CrossFit and they didn't have to look like CrossFit. They just couldn't stop talking about what they were passionate about. What's your life pointing to? This is what Jesus is after. This could perhaps change the world if we began to talk about Jesus, live for Jesus in a way that pointed people to Jesus in a natural way. We're not trying to convince them of things that we've learned. We're trying to invite them into an experience. Jesus wants to empower your lives to point to the reality of truth and beauty and justice and peace, the byproduct of relationship with him. Witness is not what you do when you die, it's how you live. It's less about trying to get people to know the right things about God or trying to convince them at all. And I, I think one of the greatest problems with Christianity today is the church. This is why I'm so passionate about this because I'm called to the bride of Christ. I can't tell you how many Christians are like, no, no, I don't go to church anymore. I'm a believer, but I don't go to church. How can you not be a part of the bride? It's Jesus's, but he died for it. It's plan A for the renewal of the cosmos, folks. The church is released into the world to bring about the renewal of all things through the power of the Holy Spirit as we follow Jesus into the world. And when you read the book of Acts, you see a church that looks like Jesus. And somewhere along the way, the Jesus movement got hijacked. The church is exhausted. It's burnt out. It's anxious. It's worried. It's angry. It's mean. We're known as hypocrites. We're judgmental. We're anti-everything. We're known for what we're against, not for what we're for. And Jesus is generous and forgiving and kind and loving and far more gracious than the church is today in the West. And I say that as I sit in the church leading her, hoping to point and build a better church, a church that looks like Jesus today. So no wonder the world is rejecting God. No wonder the church is failing in the West. It's like someone trying to describe a song to someone who's never heard the song. We forgot this isn't about trying to convince people or, or tell them about the lyrics or memorize the chord charts. This is about a reality, a reality to be experienced. All right, come back. Where are those clipboards? Can we get the clipboards? Because I want to I demonstrate what I feel is going on in the church today. 
Would you bring those clips? There's only two, right? Thank you, Kristen. You're killing it right now. You're doing so good. Give it up for her one more time. Look at her. Just. I don't know if they pay you, but you should get a raise for sure. So. <laughs> so much of. So how many of you have heard this song before? It's moody. There's a bass. It slows, but ramps up. There's a female singer with crisp, clear voice. They're singing in another language. You know what I'm talking about? Just raise your hand when you get it. Just let me know when you nailed it. Okay, it's full of wonder. Wow, this is really good. Full of wonder, twinkling, symphonic, exotic, and foreign. It stirs up curiosity, and it culminates with an epic finish. This is like, do you like critique food for a living? What is this? <laughs> it's hopeful. Oh, it sounds like a main song from the Chronicles of Narnia. Wow, this is, the, oh, this is amazing. It makes me wonder, what are they actually saying? What are they singing about? Oh, raise your hand when you get the song. No, okay, still no. Okay, um, deep bass, rhythmic, acoustic guitar, chimes continually, harmonizing vocals in unfamiliar language. Uh, ethereal voice in the background har harmonizes with a deeper voice. There's a rhythmic stomping. There's continued with vocals, a rising intensity, a pace of stomping increases. There's a guitar riff, it gets louder. It sounds almost like an overwhelmed speaker. The sound begins to get muffled. There's a high-pitched musical sound in the background. All sounds fade out, slowly harmonizing while the chimes play like in a music box. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> One time I did it and there, there, it was very similar and it said, and then there was this moment where there was electric rain. Electric rain. Electric rain. You see in the church, it's like this is what we do. If we have the audacity to share our faith, this is what it feels like for a lot of people. And what we do is become experts. You know what? You just Let me read the lyrics to you. This, these are the lyrics. Nuvanknar, boo, albertstid, vera, brit, ingatut. It's like ogklefars, vat. Do you guys get it? How many of you know which song this is now? Raise your hand if you know the song. Look at there's a couple of hands. Okay, now I'm going to give you the English translation. Is this not what we do in church? Here's the Greek, and then here's the English translation, and this is the English. It's like, can't see the way out, and uh, uh, now that you're awake, everything seems different. Uh, there's all the, I've become so used to this craziness that it's now compulsory, and here you are, I'm feeling, and here you are, glowing sun. Do you guys know what song this is? Okay, all right, let's just try one more thing and we'll get it. Let me give you the chord charts. So check this out. So here are the chord charts. <laughs> Is this not what we do? What do you have to do? You got to hear it for yourself. You got to hear it for yourself. And... Uh, we get really good at doing church things. We get really good at marketing. We get really good at studying and podcasting and, and doing websites and Instagrams. But Jesus wants to baptize you with his Holy Spirit so that you have power to live in a way that points people to the resurrection. To live in a transformed life that becomes a gift to the world wherever you go. We become the living testimony of the reality of the one true God. Let's listen to the song together. And I want you to see how the words add to the experience. There's a deep bass. <laughs> oh, a rhythmic acoustic guitar. 
chimes continually. Slow. female singer with a crisp, clear voice. Do you keep it going? We're just gonna leave it going for a bit. Oh, there you go. It's singing in another language. Full of wonder. Sounds like it's from the Chronicles of Narnia. Do you see it? Do you hear it? Are you getting it? Rhythmic stomping. Sounds like a main song. What are they saying? What are they singing about? You see, just keep the song going. The message of Jesus is like a song that you hear in your house. First, you don't know where it's coming from, but then you begin to search for that song because it grows louder and louder. Then you begin to move the couch over. You, ch you move the table and the chairs because you want to hear things clear. You take things off the wall, and then eventually you rearrange your entire home around the song. You open up the windows and the doors so that someone might have a chance to hear what you have heard. And then years go by, and you realize your entire life was transformed by that song that you began to hear a long time ago. And now that song plays through your life everywhere you go. You see, the early Christians in the New Testament talk about a Jesus they experienced for themselves. They touched him with his hands. They saw him with their own eyes. The church was on fire for this Jesus, not because they had to or because it was convenient or because it was comfortable. They didn't have a podcast or formal education or a website. They lived radically because they experienced something for themselves. They couldn't help but tell the world about what they have seen and what they have heard. Because the kingdom of God is like someone who finds buried treasure. And then they sell everything they own so they can buy the empty piece of land and get that buried treasure. But that's for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. That's what the message of Jesus is about. That's what Christianity is about. One of my favorite stories that I think needs to be told again is when Jesus is asked questions about what God is like. What is the kingdom like? He tells this story. He says, God's like a father who has two sons. One of the sons says to the father, I wish you were dead. You're no good to me. Just give me my inheritance and let me be free. And the, and the father does that. He's willing to take on the shame of his son in that context that could have got him killed or disowned. But the father does the unthinkable. He gives his son the inheritance. And the son takes the money and shames the family. He squanders it with wild living. And he goes, he loses everything. And then one day he's working in the field with pigs and he's so hungry, he bends down to eat the food. But he thinks to himself, the servants in my father's house have more than enough to eat. I will go home and I will beg my father to be a servant and pay him back. So he makes that long journey back home, that humiliating journey where he prepares a speech. He prepares a speech for his father. He says, I'm not worthy of being called your son. I've sinned against you. I know I can't be forgiven. Let me pay everything back. Let me give you, let me earn my way back into your name and into your family. Make me a slave. And do you hear how it's getting built up? Do you see how it's building? Wait for the electric rain. Some of you are gonna hear it. 
One of my favorite verses in all the scripture, Jesus makes it perfectly clear. What is God like? It says this, while the son was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around his boy and kissed him. And one translation says, and could not stop kissing his boy. The son says, starts making excuses. I can't pay you back. And the, son, the father says, give me a robe, give me a ring. My son who is dead is alive. My son who is lost is found. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Do you hear the rain? Do you hear electric rain? In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when, and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus went around Galilee saying, good news, God's in charge. And then he went around making things right, undoing injustices, healing the sick, repairing broken hearts. What is God like? God's like the running father who can't stop kissing you. We owe the world an experience with God. More than convincing, more than talking about facts and chord charts, more than saying, let me tell you about a song I once heard. We need to say, let me show you, come hear it for yourself. So brothers and sisters, I want you to experience God afresh. I want you to receive the Spirit. I want you to continue carrying the ministry of Jesus everywhere you go. I want to invite you to become the kind of person that brings heaven on earth wherever you go. A person who points to the resurrection of Jesus with their life. I just want you to be a witness. Amen? All right, you can stop the sound. Thank you so much. Did it make sense to you? Do you hear it? Now, when you look back tomorrow and you go, oh, deep bass, rhythmic guitar, continued vocals, rising intensity. <laughs> it's a sound that fades out slowly and chimes that play like a music box. You all know what we're talking about, that Christianity is more than just you convincing yourself or others. It's about entering into the reality of who God is, being baptized with his presence. This teaching was recorded live at Reality San Francisco. And as a part of our weekly gatherings, we move from teaching to responding to the Holy Spirit through prayer and a time of ministry. It's hard to capture that on a podcast, but we encourage you to pause and consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to respond to what you've just heard. For more resources and details of how to join us on Sundays, please visit realitysf.com. May the peace of Christ be with you.